Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. college football podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I am thrilled to be joined this week by my friend and colleague Joshua Perry from the Big Ten Network. You probably know him more from his Ohio State ties. We are bridging the gap. Michigan, Ohio State on the same <laughs> podcast today. I'm very proud of us during such trying times. Yeah, no, we, we, we play well together. It's, it's not like it is on the field. We get along. We're cool. We're colleagues. It's all good. This is true. And also, again, you know, you played in the actual game and I played in some very heated powder puff games. So it's definitely <laughs> also the same when we talk X's nose. And, and oh, absolutely. Football. There's no difference at all. No, there's not. So we will uh, talk college football in an hour or less, as we always do here on Power Hour. Break down the biggest storylines in college football this week. And if you enjoy this podcast, just a reminder to be sure to subscribe rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. And Joshua, I'm really glad that you're here because this was a contingency plan. This was if Ohio State wins the national semifinal, you will come on and and impart wisdom. And before we get into what happened against Clemson and what might happen with Alabama, I wanted to get your thoughts on the comparison to the 2014 run. You were part of that team. You were part of that run. Do you see similarities in this Ohio State team? I think the most common similarity would be um, this idea of adversity throughout the season. 2014 was very different. It was the loss early on. It was Braxton not being available, JT getting injured. We lost a teammate um, who committed suicide that year. It's just a lot of pain and a lot of adversity that we went through. And I think it forced the, the bond to grow within the team and kind of create this foxhole mentality that only the people that were in there were what mattered and that we were going to have each other's back. I think this year, the adversity, obviously, uh, the uncertainty of the college football season, some of the COVID issues that have happened um, are, are mainly what's driving this team. I think also the backstory of uh, how last year it ended for them really played into their drive this year. And then I would say if there's an on-field similarity, um, the running back room, just coming on at the right time. You know, Zeke did it for us and, and he was fantastic when we needed him. And all of a sudden, Trey Sermon just decides that he wants to run for 300 plus yards and then turn around and run for almost 200. Go off, young man. That That's, I think, where the comparison starts for a lot of people because it's it's like three weeks ago, you know, where did this come from? And it was very similar to Zeke. Um, obviously, you're going to get a similar matchup with the same teams, which... Honestly, the playoffs have given us a lot of the same teams and matchups, so it's not terribly surprising that this is what it is. Um, but this is something that you and I talked a lot offline about heading into this was what does Ohio State ceiling look like? What is it? Um, and I, I think, you know, based on how Justin Fields had performed in the two biggest games to date, 
you really didn't know. I mean, it could have been anywhere up until what we saw while injured against Clemson. And I'm curious what you think were the areas of growth. You talked about Trey Sermon emerging the last couple of weeks, but maybe this is something we would have seen in a a long season and they just sort of would have just, you know, hit their stride or put stuff together in the middle, whatever it might be. But there have been signs of growth and, and the ability to get to this level that we hadn't seen them at. And um, I, I'm wondering what you point to as as those key areas of growth. Well, I think the offense always had the potential to be extremely explosive. And uh, it's Justin Fields, which you're right. We hadn't seen him perform up to par in the biggest games, but he absolutely did in this one. I think probably meant a little bit more to him. Um, and for some reason, when Justin Fields gets injured, it is like it flips the switch and he comes back in and throws a touchdown pass. It's just a thing that he does. Um, but starts with him. You got the skill on the outside with the wide receivers, mainly Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. They did a really good job. They showed up when needed, but also incorporated the tight end. So you saw growth just from a schematic and kind of philosophical standpoint on Ohio State's offense. But when you look at both sides of the ball, offense and defense, it was really the growth in the trenches. And I think that's something that takes you know, a half a season to a full season to really marinate and to grow into what it should be. And that's exactly what we saw. Ohio State was dominant in the trenches offensively, moving guys off the ball, but also pass protection, which I thought uh, would be one of the matchups to watch because of Clemson's front seven. They were really good. And then defensively, Ohio State stopped the run, which is always important to make a team one-dimensional. And then they made Trevor uncomfortable which means that they got pressures, they got QB hits, even if they didn't get the sacks. Um, And so when you look at a team, especially when you're talking about big-time playoff football, I think it follows the trenches, and Alabama's really good in the trenches, so that's going to be something to look out for. Uh, But it was always going to be based off of what number one did. You felt like if Ohio State came with their best offense and Justin Justin Fields played his best, they'd be able to score points on just about anybody. Yeah, I think the the trenches is a really good point because it felt like that was something we overlooked with Clemson. And we kind of took for granted that this wasn't the same team that we had seen in these championship games in years past where it was, you know, fifth-year seniors, defensive linemen who were all going to be first-round draft picks and things like that. It just wasn't the same. But we're so used to with these teams, Ohio State included, it's reloading, not rebuilding, that we almost didn't realize that Clemson actually was rebuilding at a couple of positions. Yeah, and and that was kind of the interesting thing as I started diving into the tape a little bit more. um, You felt like Clemson was really scheme dependent this year in terms of how they operated on defense. And the reason why is because they had some guys they needed to develop. And the way to cover that up a little bit is to confuse the offense and to throw a lot of chaos at them, uh, which is the scheme that Clemson likes to use. The other thing that came from that was it allowed their front seven to to be dominant in terms of the quarterback can't settle in. And it really covered up for a secondary that I saw was an issue for Clemson. That was one of the big matchups that I said just seemed like every every bit of media I did before the game, they're like, where does Ohio State have an advantage? I said, throwing the football, if they can protect, they are going to take advantage of Clemson secondary. And it's not a Clemson issue how many people have guys that can guard the receivers that Ohio state has like not, not a lot of teams. Um, And so you felt like that was something that was going to be big picture, but it really started with Ohio state's ability to run the football, to draw that extra defender closer to the line of scrimmage 
and then to pass protect. So Justin Fields would have time to let those routes develop downfield and they executed that game plan. I think one other thing that was a little bit surprising to see um, a new wrinkle that they added was tight ends and using mm-hmm. tight ends in, in that game against Clemson. Is that something you think would actually carry over or was that you know specific to the opponent? I think it was a little bit of both, honestly, um, and, and they'll probably try it against Alabama, but I think they saw something that they liked with Clemson. And it, it goes back to Ryan Day's NFL background because you see a, a ton of 12 personnel, which is, you know, uh, one back, two tight ends in the NFL. And that's something that Ohio State used to their advantage. And it just it creates matchup issues, uh, especially when your guys can catch the ball, puts the defense in a position to are they going to run it? Are they going to throw it? And then if they are going to throw it like who is the tight end matched up against? Is it a, a smaller guy where he can use his size or is it a bigger guy where he can use speed? Um, that was definitely an advantage. And then you can see based off of the personnel, they also got into some different formations that I had personally never seen Ohio State get into. So I think it was a combination of Clemson's defense structurally showed them some things where it made sense to go 12 personnel, but also just in general, like it's a tough matchup for defenses. Yeah, I did a story um, back in December about the year of the tight end, and I'm I'm kind of putting an asterisk on that and going to call it 2021 because we already <laughs> saw that in some of the bowl season. Um, but it was kind of based on like Notre Dame and Iowa State have done 13 personnel. They, mm-hmm. They'll use three or four tight ends in the set. And then you have the guys like Kyle Pitts, which are kind of starting to be everywhere, just these mm-hmm. freak athletes. And Jimbo Fisher told me it's like the guys who would play power forward and often do have basketball backgrounds, but now they're they're playing football and they're being put in that position. And there's a lot of mismatch nightmares out there and there's going to be in the game which I think is, is is interesting but also I love this idea of like adding a wrinkle in different sets and things that you hadn't seen either that you know they were running jokes during the game it was like Clemson Ohio State was so focused on Clemson that they went super bland and basic in the six games of tape that they were going to give them and it was all leaning towards this like potential chance for revenge and I, I think you know as much as we certainly in the media played into the storylines of a budding rivalry of number 11 in the coaches poll and Dabo's thing. I mean, clearly there was a lot of that on Ohio state side. Like they were clearly able to use the loss last year and how it came about as something to sustain them throughout the off season. I've been thinking even about that number 11 coaches poll vote. And it's like, I don't think that actually plays into a game in, in, in a way, but you have two weeks of practices where right. you're trying to get your guys to stay focused. And that's where bulletin board material is useful. But I, I wonder if you can kind of explain just how much a loss like Ohio State dealt with last year can actually fuel a team. Because I, I think that, again, there was so much going on this offseason. It was so focused on you know, this team wanted to play, wanted to have a na- chance for a national championship, but it was also trying to avenge that specific loss to that specific team in the way that they ended up doing it. Yeah, you almost feel like they, they wanted the season back just to get that shot, like not even the rest of the games. And and you saw, like you, you said it, you know, Ohio State beat Rutgers by the same margin that they just beat Clemson by. Like, they, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, I don't know how in, in, Again, when you have better players, you can go out there and do that. But you really do start to ask the question, like, how much was Ohio State really doing to beat the teams that they were playing? And how much were they really preparing for a potential matchup against Clemson? But um, you start off with that loss and 
it, it really does fuel you because if you're Ohio State, you really do feel like you were the better team last year, even though you lost the game because you had some breaks go against you. Um, and it's tough watching somebody celebrate in, in, you know, the confetti and the trophy presentation when you feel like it should be you. Um, and I've been in that situation before and it's just, it, it is terrible. And they kept the score up in the weight room the whole off season. And it's just, it was everything they thought about to the point where I asked Ryan day on our selection sh Sunday show on big 10 network. Um, you know, how much motivation does last year play in in all he said to me was, we haven't stopped thinking about it. And that was all he needed to say. Um, and, and so that was enough motivation. But then you start to look at some of the other storylines. Well, we, we were able to go through the tape pretty quick because there wasn't a lot of tape to watch. And the number 11, which, again, Dabo said he didn't regret it. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying that. But his answer probably should have been, I regret creating a distraction for my team because that's what it became. But when you factor all those things in, it becomes different. And I think we saw a pass probably like the first 15 plays that Clemson had scripted up um, for their offense to run. Like once you got past those first couple of possessions, Ohio State looked like they were just they were playing a different game. I mean, players, coaches, everything. It was just different for them. No, I, I completely agree. And th and that's also where you saw the loss of Tony Elliott, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, I Big don't deal. know how much, yeah, how much we actually thought that that was going to hurt Clemson, but it, it really did, especially when their backs were against the wall and they needed to start playing catch up. Maybe some of those decisions to punt instead of yeah. going for it on fourth down. Well, I'll, um, I'll say not to, to cut you off, but that was one of the things I talked about on my own podcast is you have, they said quarterback coach was, was going to be involved in play calling in Dabo, but when you're a head coach and you don't consistently call plays, it's really hard to get back into that mode. And you ask any coach offense or defense, they will say the hardest job on game day is offensive play caller. And you're, you're missing a guy who isn't just, you know, like any coordinator. He's one of the best in America. I mean, this, he's a guy who could be running his own program and doing a hell of a job at it. And you can definitely tell because they just didn't have the answers. It, the creativity wasn't there. I don't think the confidence was there. Um, and, and so it, it really does go to show like that's that's an important job. And they were missing a real guy right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it will be very, very different against Alabama. So I do want to get your thoughts on on that game and early thoughts on the matchup. I know you said you hadn't done a ton of um, film review yet, but I think it's it's a game that clearly is going to be about keeping pace. And I think mm -hmm. this was why people were so dismissive of Notre Dame heading into this game was they didn't feel like they can score the way that Alabama scores, the way that Ohio State and Clemson both have shown that they can score, which is if you need to score in three plays, you can do it. Yep. So what in, in that sense, I mean, like the over under, I think is like 75. Like it's, it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> like it's, it's but it could very well be. Sure exactly right so I, I i'm curious like how you see strengths and weaknesses of, of two teams that again like the, it's clear that the, the three teams we were talking about as being the three best teams were built differently than notre dame there's yep. a different level of athlete at the skill yes. positions um and talent across the board so so you do have that which i think is going to be a compelling championship game. Everyone likes, you know, the, the ratings, I'm sure the TV networks, everyone's <laughs> thrilled that it's Alabama and Ohio state. Um, so, so walk me through how this game is going to be decided or, or where those differences are. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to harp on a point that you were just talking about 
Notre Dame doesn't have elite speed the way that Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama do. And Notre Dame's quarterback is not an elite player the way that Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State have quarterbacks that are real guys. And that was always going to be the difference. And that's why you felt, even though Ohio State hadn't shown um, necessarily that they were an elite team yet this year, you felt like they had a chance because they have those type of athletes and they have a quarterback who's going to be a top five NFL draft pick. Um, but when I start to look at matchups, I think it's going to be the same thing where um, Alabama has a good defense, but it's not the elite Alabama defenses that we've known to come to know and love. Um, they, they're they gettable in the back end. And so it's it's going to be incumbent upon Ohio State to block guys up front so they can create those opportunities in the back end. Um, Ohio State defensively, it's literally going to be um, – understand that you're going to get scored on that Devonte is is going to have big plays and Najee is going to do that as well but it's about keeping the ball in front of you to the point where you can line up and play another down and I, I think that's going to be both of the team's philosophies defensively because both teams are going to score points I think for Ohio State one thing that works to their advantage is they're not going against a, a quarterback who's like super mobile um and so that definitely helps with that matchup because it, it allows your front seven to play a little bit differently. Um, you can get into man-to-man a little bit more if you want to. Uh, I think Alabama historically has struggled with mobile quarterbacks, so that will be something to, to look at. But um, overall, I think that Alabama's having played all of the games that they played this year and having played the amount of great teams that they played is a definite advantage not just for the players in, um, you know, just feeling comfortable with it, but for coaching, I think it's huge. And you said it, I said it, but you felt like Ohio State was only coaching against one team this year, and they did a great job against it. But now you've got to go back and you've got to create a plan for an elite team, and you've only had to do that one time. And Alabama's had to create plans um, for Notre Dame, who's a good team, for Florida, who's a good team, for Georgia, who's a good team. And there's something to be said about the way you can create a game plan, the way you can coach in game, having gone against really good teams a number of times And Ohio State just doesn't have that. So if I got to give a coaching advantage just based off of that alone, because I do think it's two of the best staffs in America that would go to Alabama. Yeah, and you do have to wonder because it happens every year with Alabama and sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's not when the offensive coordinator has yeah. already accepted another job. We know Steve Sarkeesian's going to Texas. It's not quite Lane Kiffin's scorched earth cannot <laughs> stick around through the championship game, but you never know. I mean, it, you know, you don't have the early signing period. We're already past that, so there's a little bit of a less distraction there. Um, but, you know, you, you really never know. And, you know, this turnaround is one of the longer ones that we've had between the semis and the championship. Sometimes it's been like a week. Sometimes it's been even shorter. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how that plays out, too. And what, what's interesting, I think, if Ohio State wins this game is they will be an 8-0 and national champion. And in every other sense of the season and where we are right now, I feel like you know, everyone is so thrilled that we got a season in. Everyone is so thrilled we are going to determine a national champion. The playoff got the semifinals, and there's one game left. I don't think you have an asterisk because you've had so much of a season. You know, 80% of games got played, all of these things. I wonder if it's an 8-0 national champion 
if people start complaining about that. We already heard people complain about the six, you know, to, to qualify. But I think now we all realize this is what the committee saw. They saw one of the best teams in college football. If it's an 8-0 national champion, I wonder if that changes how we look back on the season. So I think there are going to be some people that will say, oh, you know, this one's different just because that's human nature and that's what people do. And, um, you know, you've got some folks who are uh, very loyal to their conference, regardless of who they're cheering on. And so they'll try to make that argument. But I would say that largely, and this isn't the rule, but outside of the playoff, you really would have one huge matchup in conference. And then you would go to the playoff and you'd have to beat two really good teams to win a national title. And maybe Ohio State didn't necessarily have that huge matchup. They had a couple of, of games that were real ones. Listen, um, Indiana, that was... No, I'm look, I'm, was, I was big on Indiana even yeah. before all that hype. just doesn't so. sound as you know, no, big as it's, we're used to hearing. Because it's not a brand. But, exactly. Um, you, I, don't th- I think in the, in the playoff era, it's extremely hard to diminish a title because you have to go and play two really good teams, probably win your conference championship and then go play two really good teams to win the title. Um, and so I would just, I would say that to anybody who looks at this one a little bit differently is still at the end of the season. Uh, well, first off, Ohio State had to be perfect and there was really no margin for them. But then at the end of the year, they had to go through a couple of really good teams to pull it off. I agree. I, I don't think it should be an asterisk. I, I think we've had far funnier seasons where teams declare national championships sure. than what Ohio State would have gone through this season. Um, b- before we go, Joshua, I want to get your thoughts on where we currently are in the coaching carousel because, again, we're through National Signing Day that has not slowed coaching changes. Texas mm-hmm. just made a change. Marshall is open right now. Jim Harbaugh reportedly has an extension – given to him he has not signed it (laughs) and now nfl coaching changes are starting to happen and you're hearing different coaches in college um either you know through agents whatever leaks strategic whatever's happening be interested you've heard names like urban meyer jim harbaugh dan mullen pat fitzgerald (laughs) matt campbell basically just anyone i mean i'm sure sure lincoln riley i haven't heard that one yet this cycle but i'm sure it's there somewhere and you know as someone who who played in the league but has a really good grasp of how college football works and what makes someone a great coach. When you're, when you hear these names, especially the ones that cross and go, you know, either NFL to college or college to NFL, how do you evaluate who you think is going to work? Like what, what do you look for when you, when people talk about fit, which can mean a lot of different things. Like how do you define that? Yeah. Well, first off, I I think that um, in terms of, scheme and philosophy there has to be something there and the nfl is definitely changing to be more of a uh, spread offense type of a league Uh, but you still see some of the old pro style under center you know multiple tight ends as we talked about and so like a matt campbell lincoln riley a ryan day um pat fitzgerald like those are those are kind of crossover just from a philosophy standpoint. You feel like it makes sense because it's not going to be too big of a shock anywhere they would go. Um, And then you got to look at personality. And that's the big one that I think is a disqualifier for a lot of these coaches, because um, I think when you get to the NFL, you meet more coaches that are just normal people. College coaches are absolute nut jobs, a lot of them. And we've had offline conversations, but like I... Some of these dudes are like cartoon characters in my mind, just based off of their personality. And so 
you get a guy, for example, a guy I played for um, in Urban Meyer, who I think is a really good coach, um, obviously championship caliber type of guy. You wonder if his personality is going to be received in an NFL locker room the way that it is in a college locker room, because he is a very much a um, my way or the highway kind of guy. And he he's funny. He says uh, three things motivate people, love, hate and fear. And he used to use all three of those tactics to motivate us. And he'll let you know about it. Um, but I don't know if you can you, you can't do the hate and the fear thing as much in the league. The fear thing already exists from the fact that you can get cut at any point. And so you can't bring more of that into the locker room and expect your guys to be on point. Um, I look at Dan Mullen and the conversation becomes, can a guy like him handle, uh, you know, the, the eight year vet who's making more than him being like, bruh, I'm not listening to you today. I just don't feel like it. Some coaches can't handle that kind of stuff. And then this time of year, of course, you always get the leaks and everything. And you got to see some of these guys contracts and wonder, are they trying to milk a little bit more money out of the athletic department? Pat Fitzgerald's situation is he trying to get a stadium renovated or is it one of those where the athletic director is gone? We don't know how long the university president is going to be around. Is he really considering? Um, and that's why this time of year is so fun, but it, it, it comes down to does the philosophy work in terms of on the field and you make a decision check yes or no. And then does the personality work, which might be the bigger one, check yes or no, and then that's how you decide. I think Pat Fitzgerald's a really interesting name in this cycle because I think you just gave a couple of the reasons why I think that this is time if he wants to go to the NFL, that this is the real time to look at it. So his boss just became the ACC commissioner. Um, his longtime defensive coordinator is retiring, Got went it. out in a Gatorade bath. Mm -hmm. His longtime offensive coordinator, he had to let go last year because – you know, the offense just wasn't working for a number of years. It's time. If you ever have wanted to pursue NFL opportunities, this just feels like time. You've been to the Big Ten Championship game twice in three years. Yeah. What is the ceiling? What is realistic? And it, it's it's really interesting because he's got such a great job. It's one of the best jobs, right, mm -hmm. in, in terms of job security, the type of player you get to work with. Um, and so to me, that one, when you hear that name right now, the timing feels right. It feels like someone whose personality, temperament, all of those things really works in the NFL. So that's one I buy and I think could actually work. But again, you know, it, it's depends on, you know, again, like whose system, who knows who. I mean, I spent like an entire year joking about how everyone who shook hands with Sean McVay was getting jobs <laughs> because that's what it was. That was the right. hiring cycle. This is a little bit more all over the map. And, and I think one other thing worth mentioning, at least when you talk about personalities, is the ability to withstand a rebuild sure. and losing. Because these coaches don't lose many games. They don't handle them very well. And they would have to go through that. And yes. to give up the power of the control that you have in a college program, it's a better job than the NFL. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And the Pat thing definitely becomes interesting based off of that. Right? You said it like he's had – just immense success there. And, and you wonder like, you know, if he stayed there, would he ever get fired? Probably not. But if he's got aspirations to go do something different, this would be the time to get out. But to your point on the second one, like he would be good because he's done the rebuild thing before and he's had the bad seasons before and had to deal with the media and did a great job with it and actually built the program back up to a place where you felt like they had success for a guy like urban again, 
six six losses in an NFL season is successful. He would lose his mind over six losses because I remember we we only lost four games in four years when I was at Ohio State, and I can remember his just his demeanor after each of the four losses. Dude was as pale as a ghost, couldn't formulate sentences because it's just not what he does well he wins and that's it and so that would be a little bit of a shock but that's where jacksonville does become very interesting because you get to pick your quarterback so you can go with the guy that you feel comfortable with and they don't have a gm right now so he could at least be involved in the hiring process for the gm or try to do like bill o'brien did and say hey look the only way this thing is going to work out is if i can be gm too so Again, this is this cycle is definitely a little bit more interesting than some of the others. Like you said, you know, you're just looking down the the, the coaching tree and in, in some of the the cycles years ago and be like, all right, this is the next guy up, this is the next guy up. But now we got some interesting names and some unique storylines. If if Jim Harbaugh doesn't find a landing place in the NFL and does sign an extension, now you know, I I want I, I know a lot of Big Ten, you know, fan bases react differently to news, have different standards for things. I have a lot of Michigan friends who have been fed up for like two years now, very frustrated and a frustrated place because when you hire the guy who's supposed to save the program, it's kind of the white whale and you finally get him, it becomes very uncomfortable when things aren't going great, which is something Scott Frost is experiencing at Nebraska as well. And I don't know how fans or like people invested in the Michigan football program are supposed to react if Harbaugh signs a, I guess, medium term extension. Well, I guess you have to ask the question, um, who could you and and I know people say this, you know, you bring somebody else and they're going to be better. But like, realistically, who are you hiring that's going to bring different results? And I say that not to disparage the the coaches out there i say that to say that as long as ryan day is the head coach of ohio state and he's bringing in you know first or second rate recruiting classes year in and year out i don't think you're winning the big 10 you're probably not beating ohio state and you look at what jim harbaugh's actually done at michigan um you know they've got some top 10 top 15 finishes in there i think new year's six bowl games like you know, you win nine, 10 games a year. It's really not bad. And I would question Michigan fans with this. The last time you won or shared a Big Ten title, Joe Milton was like four years old. So, you know, like that was a long time ago. Last national championship was a long way ago. Like maybe we got to do a little bit of a paradigm shift and say that our expectation level for the University of Michigan should not be what it was 20 and 25 years ago because the program's different. The landscape of college football is different as well. This is an interesting point, not to, to go on and on and on, but the the population used to be in the Midwest through the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because you know a lot of folks were trying to escape some of the things that were going on down south. And then you had these steel towns, you had these towns that were manufacturing cars. And so you could, there were plenty of, uh, you know, lower middle class to middle class families. Kids were really good at football here in the Midwest. And then factories started to shut down and jobs went overseas and the population shifted back, back south. And you can draw a direct correlation between that kind of stuff happening 
and some of the powers that used to exist here in the Midwest falling off and some of the, the schools from down south becoming the powerhouses. And so maybe it's just time to start thinking a little bit differently. I don't know, but that's just my thought on it. Yeah, no, I think I think the the population point is is really important. And it's been interesting as the sport has gotten more national and every game is televised and things like that, because it's also the way that people talk about, you know, Florida and Miami in the past, right? And the fact that they could get guys that people didn't know about. And now everybody knows about everyone and everyone's <laughs> recruiting Florida. Um, but you have to be able to get certain guys. And, and this is also a USC problem in Southern sure. California, right? So yeah. like this is something that happens pretty much everywhere. But it's definitely interesting. And, and I think that in terms of like expectations and recalibrating them or what is success, this is what I have a problem with in the playoff era is very few teams get to call it a successful season. Yeah. Because even now Notre Dame sure. comes off making the playoff. Sure. And they're telling their fans, like, don't jump off a cliff. Yeah. Because, I, because like, in Oklahoma, they've yeah. made the playoff a bunch, but the reputation is they can't win a game to get blown out. I struggle with it. I really do. Because I understand the amount of work that goes into a season and how hard it is to win games. Um, and even all the success, like I said, we went 50-4 and four when I was at Ohio State. And only one of those 50 wins was a conference championship. Like, it's hard to win a conference title, but people don't even care about that anymore because the conference championship doesn't matter unless you're in the playoff. And it's hard to win a daggone New Year's Six Bowl game. We played uh, Clemson in the Orange Bowl in 2013 and lost that one. We beat Notre Dame uh, in 2015 in, in uh, a Fiesta Bowl. Those are two really difficult games, though, because you're playing high-caliber teams, and it means a lot to get there, but a lot of people don't see it the same anymore because the playoff exists. And I, I just it's disappointing. And I understand part of it, too, is um, players are opt out of those games because they understand, like, maybe winning a Rose Bowl isn't as important as going out there and, and getting a, a 15 million dollar signing bonus. And to that, I say, go get your money. But at the same time, I can appreciate what these games mean. And I just I don't like the feeling that um, some of these storied games and these venues that are just picturesque and, and something that I dreamed of personally as a youngster getting diminished right now. A daggum and a youngster in the same sentence. Yeah, I, you know, no. you, you, you say you're an 80 year old like woman sometimes and you, you really are. Like, I it's am. Just... It's exactly what I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that that's a, a big problem that the sport is facing and, you know, it's something coming out of this season where a lot of things were laid bare. It's something that everyone has to think about, about what you want the postseason to be, what you want the regular season to be. And there's a lot of teams out there that go from five wins to, to eight. And that's a huge jump. That is a big, you know, hugely successful season. And it's just, we, we never hear about it. We never yep. talk about it. Yep. Because we talk about the same six teams every year. And then they get yep. the best players because they want to play for a, in the playoff. And then yep. we do it again. So I it's mean, how many, how an interesting many system. did Indiana have? And I feel like they didn't get enough attention nationally on, because they didn't have a chance to make the playoff really and, and that's that's the disappointing part about it because following the big 10 conference and following that team last year and then this year and seeing the, the progress they made last year and then seeing how they were able to take that momentum and, and challenge a team like ohio state who just beat the brakes off of clemson like they did not get the proper attention nationally and like you said they're not a brand but there was no chance 
there was no chance of no, them making and, the playoff. And you want to know the real test of how they got treated is they had the same excuse that SEC teams did for bowl performance. Yep. They said, you know, I backup quarterback and he played injured. Yep. And no one believed it. They're like, yep. ha, 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 Indiana, you didn't deserve a New Year's Six Bowl. No, seriously. No. Like, no, they had the same excuse as the p- teams that had opted out of players. But they can't get they, <laughs> they can't, can't get, get treated that way. No, it's so wild. It's just that's a disappointing thing. And I don't want to get too far into it, but people start talking about, well, the only way to fix this system is to expand the playoff and this, that, and the third. And my challenge to you is that a three-loss Florida team and a Georgia team who who best win was a loss to Alabama would have still made it into an eight team playoff versus an Indiana team who probably would have deserved it more or an Iowa team who was peaking at the right time. Second best scoring offense in the big 10 conference. One of the top defenses would have gotten no consideration. And that's where like my mind goes to, it's not even about that. It's just the way that things are right now. I just feel like we're, we're stuck. Yeah, it's it's like you 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 probably need a different system, but you also need to evaluate things differently. Yes, and and the selection committee to just either be made up differently or prioritize things differently. I, I have a, uh, a a personal issue with some of the folks that get to be on the playoff committee because they're not football people, mm, and I feel yeah. like when you're making this decision, you should be a football person. And it's not to say that these folks can't watch the tape and that they don't necessarily know about football. But it's just really hard for me to deal with. Well, and it's a lot of current administrators, too, which just creates awkward potential conflicts of interest. But we will save that conversation for another day. (laughs) Um, Do that off-season power hour. Absolutely. Joshua, before you go, you have to do your first last call. Now, this is our segment where, as if we didn't get enough off of our chests prior, (laughs) we have to get something else off our chest or cheers to something before we go. It's whatever the last call means to you. So I will go first, and I will say that my last call this week is that I remain incredibly annoyed by the people who are very disingenuous when they talk about buyouts. Mm. When they see that Tom Herman and his staff are getting bought out, And I point out that we're in the middle of a pandemic, that it is a financial crisis for higher education right now. And people say, but it's private money and you can't tell people what to do with their money. It is connected. These are the people who fund and funnel money to the athletic department. The athletic department gets itself in these situations with these crazy contracts and these buyouts, and then they have to owe the money And then that money can't trickle to the tennis team. It can't trickle to scholarships opportunities for other athletes. It doesn't, it trickles down to the people who make $40,000 a year in the athletic department. You can't say that these are two totally different groups of money. You can say that maybe those donors don't want to save the tennis program. That's That's a fair conversation to have. But you can't say that it's totally disconnected, especially when it's these athletic directors agreeing to the contracts in the first place. They're the ones giving extension. Lane Kiffin just got an extension. Sure. After one season. Absolutely. Why not? These are the guys <laughs> that do that, put their schools in these positions, yep. and then, yes, they need they need donors to, to raise the money. But first of all, it's a terrible look in a pandemic. It's a terrible look for an athletic department that just had layoffs and has had pay cuts. And... I just get so tired of the people who attack this conversation from a totally disingenuous place and pretend that it's something that's fine and you can't do anything about. It's the same. There's only a finite amount of money that is going towards the University of Texas football program and its success. So if you take it to pay 
Tom Herman not to coach, it goes away from something else. It may not be a direct line, but it funnels down to it. And so I am fed up with people who come at these conversations and and, and purposely try to make them about something that they aren't. So that is my last call. I feel better. It's off my chest. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say something on that before I get to my last call, but you're you're spot on. Um I don't understand how these contracts continue to be written in such a way that it, it costs so much to fire a coach, and, but it's not even that it's the bet that the athletic department is making that the next guy is going to be worth what they paid in the buyout. And so you, you bring in a Steve Sarkeesian who as a head coach was like, eh, he was all right, had some issues. And, and I'm, I'm hope I'm hoping that he's beyond those and that he can have a support group while he's down there. But it's just like, that's the crazy part to me is the bet that they're making that the money is going to be worth it. And that's a hell of a bet to make. And then the other thing, which you touched on, but they'll get rid of the, the video intern that makes $20,000 a year during a pandemic because there's not enough money, but then you can all of a sudden find, you know, basically 30, $40 million when it comes to firing the old staff and bringing in a new one makes no sense to me, but I don't get paid to, to do that stuff. So I'm going to just leave it alone. My All last right. call. Yeah, let's go. Let's hear has it. has to do with New Year's resolutions. I'm getting sick and damn tired of them. And, and here's the reason why. <laughs> is okay. people, they'll hit you with the new year, new me. This is what I'm going to do. Blah, 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 blah. And we don't even get to March 1st. And it's the same old whatever, doing the same old things that were getting them in trouble a year ago. It's the same old bad habits. And so let's, let's just, let's do this. How about when it's time to make a change, you just make the daggone change. You, you stop with all of the, oh, new year, new me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do this. You don't have to announce it to anybody. You just do it. Like I, one of the, the issues that is really just plaguing us right now is everything is like a, uh, a social media clip or a viral moment. And that's even like self-improvement. And when you do it, you have to blog about it. And then you have to let everybody know every single step and every single detail. And then the question in my mind becomes, is this about personal improvement or is this about what you can be to everybody else and, you know, just doing it for likes? And I don't think likes are a sustainable way to create any valuable change within your life. I'm sorry to all of the influencers with your hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, but those likes definitely aren't improving who you are as a person. Um, and so I'm really tired of it. Keep your damn resolution to yourself. Do it on your own time. I'll pat you on the back at the end of the year. But right now, I'm really not trying to hear about it because most of y'all ain't going to do it anyway. Uh, my favorite part about that this year was that everyone was just like, well, we don't have to start till Monday, right? Like Monday can be the first of the year because it's a weekend, which certainly speaks to the fact that these are not actually real resolutions. No. But well, it also reminds me of my dad's philosophy with wedding gifts is he doesn't like that people spend so much money to throw these parties and expect people to go and spend money to, to celebrate them, give them gifts. And his thing is always, it's day one of marriage. That's easy. Like, he's like, you want to throw a, a party on your 10th your tenth anniversary? I will spend the money. I will fly. I will give you a nice gift. And so um, it sort of feels like that. It's like, show me at the end when it's all when it's all said and done. Yeah, we get to 365 and then we'll have a conversation about what went on this year. But on, on January 1st, I'm really not trying to hear it. I scrolled past so many of those daggone things. It's not even funny. Absolutely. And, you know, Joshua, I, I will thank you for coming on. I'm dealing with a puppy right now who is, you know, his New Year's resolution was to be a little bit no more annoying. 
than usual. If you That's hear the, the most skittering on the floor, puppy in America. He is. He has been on television. I know. So he's quite famous. Um, but Joshua, thank you for joining Power Hour this week. Um, and for our listeners, obviously, Andy will be back on the feed later this week. We'll have a lot more um, National Championship game preview. And we will see you next week on Power Hour. For Joshua Perry, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.